and welcome to another episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With winter's arrival and dark evenings in good supply, this is the perfect time to gain your favourite gardening podcast fix. To help you through the spring, Saul and myself will keep you entertained and informed with podcasts on wide-ranging topics such as winter pruning, propagation and planting. Plus, we'll provide regular updates on important industry developments, along with lively discussions on all manner of horticultural topics. We'll aim to bring you two short 20-minute episodes a week, along with a longer bonus interview with a key green-fingered peer every month. As ever, if you have suggestions for episodes that you'd like to hear, please just tap us up on our respective Twitter accounts at Gardening Saul and at Head Gardener LC. We'd be delighted if you'd join us on this journey as we step inside the busy and exciting world of the modern Head Gardener. Hello Saul from a rather snowy Essex. Amazing because we have had full sun today and, and yesterday was 11 degrees, today is 8 so I think we're in that split again, that east-west split of different weather. We most definitely are. We most definitely are. We woke up this morning knowing that there was going to be the, the, the promise of a little bit of snow overnight in the Essex area, and it delivered. The weathermen were right. We had a good two, three centimetres. Um, okay. It's now turned to slush and it's raining. So as it, you know, well. had the temperature nudged a couple of degrees lower than it is at the moment. It's three at the moment. Right. We could still be looking at a snow scene out of my lounge window, but no, it's just a bit drab. It's a bit drab, but hey, look, looking at you, you've you've done your smiley, beamy face. You've cheered me up nowhere. It's been a really, actually, it's been a nice two weeks. And the juxtaposition between a fortnight ago when we were in that minus temperatures and mm. that we actually had quite an extreme frost for down here in the West Country to this week where it has actually been quite mild. But the, the unifying thing is it's been dry. And for anyone who lives in my part of the world... To be able to go outside without your wellies or your boots on, that's quite a nice feeling because it just means we can get on with things, get on with lots of jobs, which we couldn't usually. I know. Yeah, I've been envious of you because this week, we do chat in the week, and I've heard that you've been doing, you've been really cracking on at Stonehenge yeah, with lots of your jobs. Now at Donnellan, we need to, we need to crack on because, you know, the th- time, time is pressing. We're in January. Mm. Soon February is going to be very much knocking on our door. And, and at that point, a switch goes off in any any gardener's head. So January, you maybe are trying to be a little bit reserved with the start of the season jobs. Come February, you have got the green light to go. And that is actually what we're going to be talking about today with this episode of the podcast. What things we should be thinking about for January and then February, because it's a transition. There's winter Mm. jobs that need finishing. There's, you've got to get ready for the spring. There's an awful lot going on in January, I, I still maintain this. I was, I've been doing some tweets um, throughout January for just hashtag January jobs to show people that gardeners, we don't sit down in January. We, we've got lots of stuff to do. I've definitely not been sitting down. I, t- <laughs> I tell you the one thing, you, you sort of have a little lull over Christmas. You sort of ha- you sort of come down mm. from last year or the last season, but now we're picking up. And, and the one thing that always heralds that is the start of the snowdrops and I tell you what, we've had mm. a few snowdrops come out at Stoneland's and at home. I oh, collect a few fancy snowdrops at home. But um, the first little bobbing white heads have started coming out. And I I love this time of year because we'll have the snowdrops, then my early dafts, my aconites, and then slowly things like erythroniums and all the scylla will start going through. So this is the start, like you say, 
of us ramping up mm. to the season. And because it's been so dry at Stonelands, it has been amazing to be All able right. to get... Don't keep rubbing my face, <laughs> Well, I've been getting on with lots, but um, it's just been so good to be able to get on with work on the ground and around the property that I really wouldn't be able yeah. to get away with in a usual year when it's so wet. Well, there you go. No, I do, I do um, think it's great for you to crack on and get things done because it's such a satisfying feeling. So I was just going to run through very quickly the winter jobs that are outstanding. The ma- not all of them because we can only talk for 20 minutes. So just the main <laughs> ones that I know I really do need to get finished at the hall and at home. This is also about our own Do you garden. need to start them, Lucy, as well? <laughs> You're saying you have to get them finished, but I have a feeling a few of them may need starting as well. There's one I'm staring at now. I've, I've actually put a list down here to remind me. There's one that we haven't started at all yet. And it is, um, it's quite a major job for us because it's harvesting the pea sticks at the hall. Oh, no, the nuttery. visited the hall. The nuttery. the nuttery. We have a nuttery. <laughs> We are so lucky to have this beautiful, beautiful nuttery of cob nuts. And it's just a joy to look at in the summer, but also in the winter, because I think the structure of these heavily coppiced uh, trees... It's it's there's something about a, a, a lovely thicket of stems, isn't there? It's yeah. like It makes this lovely kind of like almost like a firework. It's just loads of stems erupting up, and then they arch over, and all the canopy is it all joins together. It looks it's very very pleasing it, and, and lovely and shady in the it's summer. It's quite a unique bit of Donland when I when we visited. Mm. Um, I just think it yeah, it's quite magical, isn't it? The way it's sort of yeah, I love it. Little yeah, the little stem. It's very you can imagine that there's a little fairy garden. Down the down it. <laughs> Are you, have you been looking at your yeah, say, <laughs> been hanging around with my nieces and nephews too much. But um, no, at Stonelands, we do have a few stands of coppiced um, hazel around the garden in separate areas, but nothing mm. like where you have that. How big is it? I'd say it's a. Uh, well, a quarter of an acre, would, maybe a little less. A quarter of an acre, and it's made up of approximately 30 trees. Okay. Um, they must be now a good. 20, 25 years old. And what we've done, what since in my time taking over from the management of them, they, they weren't really used as an active um, pea stick harvesting uh, method. They were used as the aesthetic nuttery. And so what I've done uh, in the six years that I've been there, six, seven years now, is gradually nibble away at the, the trees, taking out really old congested stems. And um, we do this every year. We go in with a chainsaw, take out a proportion of the old wood. Uh, it's quite a, a, a tangle to do it, but it's, it's, it's satisfying. And then you get a, a lovely profusion of growth coming up from the base where you've taken out those old stems. And if you do that year on year, um, you gradually get that continued renewal of, of new growth coming through from the base. And that's what you want for pea sticks. Yeah. Pea sticks, pea sticks, um, they're not, for us, on the herbaceous borders, we use them a lot at the hall for, for training in the perennials. And pea sticks, if they're all kind of like twisty and gnarly and knobbly and, and a few years old, they're quite brittle and they don't, they're not pliable, they don't bend. So I needed to ensure that we got stems that were one, two, three years old that had got very soft, sappy, pliable wood so I could use them as pea sticks. So, so I need to get in there and harvest them before even the catkins are produced. And actually with hazel, that's, that is imminent. That really is. I've noticed the buds are swelling. Some of the, in the sheltered areas, there are a few catkins already out. So we need to get our fingers out and we need to crack on and get that job done. Do you actually get any nuts in the nuttery or is it because you're cop- coppicing it all the time? I'm guessing you're taking out all the, the fruiting growth. Um, 
No, because we've still got a proportion of the old wood there. Right. Um, we do get a lot of, well, I say we get nuts. We don't get the nuts at all. So right. The yeah. squirrel population in oh. the local wood gets a lot of nuts. Yeah, So, absolutely. And we're, you know, we're, we're quite zen about it. We don't, the, the family don't need the nuts. The squirrels do. We like to, you know, be, uh, it's, it's live and let live on the estate as much as we possibly can so um it's, it, yeah, it's very rare people eat cob nuts these days isn't it i think we, we've we've also got a few um bushes in our orchard and, and i prune them mm. well and i know that we get nuts but as soon as they hit that well it's actually just before they're ripe along comes squirrel nutkin and takes everything i know they do mm. but hey ho that's it that's it another i'm just going to move on before to t- tell you about another couple of jobs that we have started to make me feel slightly better <laughs> about myself these are winter jobs that um we i think we've touched on one of them before one of them is controlling the white fly on our pelagoniums in the greenhouse so um we we did have a podcast that explained that there's certain windows of opportunity in the winter where you can control yeah. pests much more f- effectively than you can in the summer because the breeding cycle is a lot well it's with, with in this time of year it's the thing everything's stopped the, the the pests aren't breeding so the the population that's there is static and if you want to dent it and dent it well now is the time to do yeah. so and with white fly when it's cold like this they literally do gather on the undersides of the leaves of the pelagoniums and you can squash them between finger and thumb they don't fly off you try to do that in the summer you're going to be chasing around that greenhouse like an idiot, you know, like a headless chicken. So um, make the most of any uh, opportunity you can to try to knock pest populations on the head at the moment. So squashing whitefly on the pelagoniums is one. We do drench them as well with um, an insecticide because they're not edible, they're ornamental. So we can we can do that on the estate. And then also scraping the grapevine to get rid of mealybug and scale insects, scraping that outer flaky bark. We're doing that now as well. It's we've, We're halfway through. We need to finish it off because the buds of the grapes will be bursting very, very soon and they, they, they then get knocked off if you're not careful. So scraping away the bark of that indoor grapevine. Um, we, we can't spray for the mealybug and the scale insect in the summer because the nature of the grapevine being edible um if we sprayed with something that was actually going to do any any good it would also then affect the ed- the eating quality of the grapes so have you tried any of the biological controls for um well for white fly it'd be the incarsia formosa which is a predatory wasp and then for mealybug it's cryptolemus which is a type of other mite, I believe. It's a ladybird, oh, it's a ladybird. It? that's it. Sorry, I'm thinking of the other thing. Cryptolemus is the ladybird. Yeah, Cryptolemus yes. is the ladybird, which you can get for mealybug. Because the, the grapevine and the pelagoniums are all in your one of your range greenhouses, aren't they? Yeah, the grapevine is permanently in the large greenhouse. The pelagoniums do go outside for the summer. On my parents' nursery, we used to use the um, parasitic wasp against whitefly and also a predatory mite against red spider right. so i have done that in the past um i haven't used it at the hall so it's good it's a, it's a good recommendation to use i think that with biocontrol you've got to get in there early haven't you and and, and it's continuous as well is it yeah. is a investment in time uh, and also mm. in cost as well because you have to keep on buying in the the the, the predatory insect but um it'd be quite interesting to hear if you ever did use it and how you found it and how it how it's worked for you because we've used i've used it before at kew and i do find that if you don't continually add to the population 
they do tend to mm. go off to places you don't want them to or they tend to disappear. So it's yeah. it's an interesting way of doing it. I think with us, the pelagoniums get moved outside in the summer right. and then they go into the house. So that's probably why I haven't thought that that would be an option for us. But with the grapevine, actually, like you say, that might be worth me looking at because... Um, the mealybug and the scale insect did get quite bad last year. I was quite worried about the grape, but that's why we're really trying to dent it this winter before things wake up. Have you got any jobs at Stolen that you're desperate to finish off? Are you, are you way ahead? I'm actually you? doing reasonably well. We've cleaned up the potting shed and the greenhouse the week it was cold oh, nice. two weeks ago. And like I said, it's a lovely job, especially the potting shed, because... Because last year I was on my own for six months, the potting shed became a little bit like pots everywhere, compost hit left, right and centre, and I didn't really get much time to do a bit of housekeeping, so a bit of cleaning up. So actually going in there, taking all the pots, cleaning them out, very satisfyingly putting them into size order. Oh now, my goodness, now that's taken it to a level. Anyone who knows me knows that I have a slight OCD tendency. Uh, not, not when everything's everywhere, but I do... <laughs> Lucy's face has just gone, really? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> so it was really satisfying to get the potting shed ready for the se- season because we are going to soon be sowing seeds. I have sown a few things, mostly ornamentals, uh, mostly woody plants, which you can start off a bit early because they have quite a long germination period. So I want to get them germinated before we start a lot of the short uh, period germination stuff uh, mostly the veg seeds and the annual flowers so if i can get those started then they can go over to the other side of the greenhouse to continue while i use the propagators for other things so we're doing a bit of that cleaning up all the glass great time now to clean the glass on your greenhouse because you'd be amazed how much yeah rubbish and and algae and film and a biofilm that's what they call it. they call it a biofilm don't they do they yeah. that's i've not heard of that word before i like that builds up builds up on the glass and just giving it a little scrub can Uh, you know increase the light transmission by 10 percent and anyone who is a professional gardener will will know that i know we're the middle of january but we're starting to get a bit more light in the evenings you know about Mm. 20 minutes more light than we've had and that'll ramp up and you'll and you'll soon see the difference between mid-february and the end of feb and uh, that's a really great time to start sowing your seeds so now is a great time to get on top of cleaning your greenhouse and again that will feed into what you were saying about pests and disease get on top of it now to reduce the incidence in spring summer yeah do you actually fumigate your greenhouses at all do you know we're not it's not a massive well it's big but it's not a huge greenhouse and i have thought of Mm. using a smoke bomb before but the one thing i do notice is there's a lot of spiders and beneficials in there that actually do quite a lot of jobs for me and and although i do annoy them when i clean because i scrape all their cobwebs but it gives them a chance to rebuild. I do notice that spider cobwebs get worse as the season goes on. And I think, well, they'll maybe want to rebuild it into a perfect home. I like to think that's what I'm thinking. You, are you, <laughs> I, I know you do like to think that. I think you're right. I think they're, do you know what? They're delighted. They see you yeah. drop down there with your, with your feather duster in hand and they get very excited that they can make a brand new web for the whole year. That's what they're doing. So, so no, I haven't used a smoke bomb before, but uh, I have recommended it to other people. To be honest, I usually mm. recommend them when there is a real problem in a greenhouse that you just can't shift you know um, especially some of the fungal diseases and things can be quite horrendous unless you wash down everything which is quite hard in a greenhouse because it's full of like 
bits that you can't get to and, you know, bits of wall that are full of nooks and crannies. It's the nooks and crannies, mm. I think, that are the tricky bits, isn't it? So for us, when we, I have used them once at the hall. I had a, We had an attack of a red spider and I really wanted to knock that on the head. And I know that does overwinter in, like you say, the, the parts that you can't reach necessarily with, with a general kind of like sterilisation. So um, I have done that because the smokes are very good at getting to... Or they just seep through all the joints and the cracks, mm. and uh, and that's that's their that's their real um, asset. Um, talking about propagation, it's exciting for me to know that, that stoners you're already started. We've got some cuttings that have been ticking along through the winter. We've got some a few bits of seeds sown off. I've also got quite a lot of ideas for myself at home this year for propagation now your greenhouse is fully ready to go i can i i, I we're going to be getting if you join lucy on twitter it's just going to be reamless pictures <laughs> of her greenhouse full of seeds i think it might i think you might be right <laughs> this is the thing i love propagating anyhow and uh, when we got the greenhouse ready at our own home last year we missed the window of opportunity for getting staging made so this year um Yesterday, Ian went to local timber merchants and got some batons. We got 100 metres worth of batons for the staging and some um, some two-by-two two timbers for the vertical supports for the legs. We've also got some um, some wall brackets. Like There's like an ornate metal um, bracket to go against the wall. I'm having some staging that's waist height that's quite deep about... Oh gosh, that's going to be about 60, 70 centimetres deep. And then also another one at eye level because it's amazing how much staging you need once you oh, get, yeah. once you get yeah. sewing and then pricking out and you, the, the, the amount of space you need ramps up massively. Um, so again, one at eye level that's only going to be about the depth of a seed tray. So so that's what we're going to be constructing there. So we're talking about the um, dimensions of the timbers, what we need, the gaps between the, 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 the spacing of the timbers, how we're going to construct it. We, we want to make it so that actually it can be... Comp- completely taken out of the greenhouse i want it so it's modular okay yes that's what i thought are you going to make sure you can take it away because i know that you like to over are you going to be overwintering more stuff in there well exactly i need i need the greenhouse to be completely clear of the staging in the winter and through the summer when all my tomatoes and melons and cucumbers are in there so it needs to be something that a we can completely take out but also then can be flat packed because we've not got much storage space at home so it needs to go say into the garage roof or wherever so so we've got all those decisions to be making at the minute. I love a project like that though it gets me really excited and your beautiful greenhouse will make it even more even more productive so you know yeah, it's yeah. it's worth thinking of these it's worth thinking of landscaping jobs as well actually those kind of jobs where you now is a great time to go down the DIY merchants and pick up maybe some new raised beds or something. Now is a great time to do that. Yeah. One other thing that I, I've been talking to you about um, is I want to get some the insect proof mesh. Now oh, I yeah. use this at the hall a lot and I've always I've got a little bit at home, but I have I don't know if I'm the only one who has this aversion to the colour white, because I find it quite an imposing um piece of material. When you make these these um uh, cages to either fend off things like the allium leaf miner or leek moth or um, carrot root fly, cabbage, fly, all those sorts of things that this mesh is so, so useful from organic perspective to, to, um, to control. White boxes, especially in our wall kitchen garden at the hall, it's, it's, a, it's a very, you know, ancient, beautiful, um, area. 
and I just find the, the white's a bit harsh. So I've been looking into buying the the black, which is um, you can buy a, a like a one point two mil mesh mosquito netting. But I'm looking into it. Someone very kindly said to me on Twitter the other day, you've got to be careful because they have been mm. some products have been treated with uh, chemicals, and we've looked at this ourselves, haven't we? Now flame retardants or maybe insecticides. So I'm just going to do a bit more research on that before I recommend that anyone does that. But I think. I'm, I'm definitely going to try and explore that route. I know there's a company, Harrod Horticultural, that do supply the, the black mesh. So I'm sure they've done all those checks already. Yeah, we just had a look, um, yeah. So, yeah, so getting insect-proof mesh ordered. Com- have you got your compost yet? Are you all sorted for that? Do you know, I haven't. And there are stories <gasps> right. on the internet that compost might be in short supply this year. So I'm going to be going down. I'm very lucky. My local garden centre has a really good supply of my favourite peat-free, which is the Melcourt Silver Grow. Mm. So I'm going to go down and actually fill my boot as with as much compost as possible because if last year was anything to go by where well, I had to wait for eight weeks yeah. and I, it was a bit hit and miss at one point I must say to me being able to get all my stuff repotted or, or, or sown yeah that I'm definitely going to over buy this year which may sound a bit you know selfish that I, I suspect a lot of people want to buy things but Lots of my plants are very special to me, so I really need to make sure they get potted on. And it's not so much overbuying, it's bulk buying, isn't it? That's what I've done at the yeah. hall. So this is oh, this is actually one job where, although I'm behind on certain things on the estate, I've nailed this one. I've actually managed to oh, get... Oh, well done. For our local nursery, Dean's Nursery is local to us. They supply really good quality compost. And I'm, so I have got in touch with them and uh, they very kindly said they put the... I think we've got... 15 bags of the multi and a multi compost and five bags of seed, which is roughly for us what I think we're going to need for the spring. Normally I just trot down there because I love seeing the guys, but obviously this year is different. Yeah. And we would, we would buy that volume of compost. So I'm not, I've, I've bought it in bulk this year as opposed to going down there and getting it in dribs and drabs. So, so that's been sorted. Um, and oh, I just meant to mention heat mats. I bought myself another heat mat. You know, with you've got your new Arky obsession. I'm getting obsessed by heat mats. So. I've seen, I've seen on Twitter. Actually, I need to pick your brains. I, while you're talking about them, I'm going to write down the details because I would like to get a few. Go oh, for it. Right. Well, I the one I've bought was from is from a company that I bought one from. Oh, at least. 10, 15 years ago. And the company is called Two Western Elliots. And uh, I used to uh, liaise with them an awful lot when I was editing Grow Your Own magazine because they would uh, advertise with the magazine. And we'd, we'd, I got to know the, the staff well. They're a lovely company. Um, I have paid in full. There's nothing funny going on. I'm not. Um, so uh, I've, I've ordered my, my second heat mat now. It's arrived there. It's £50 for the one I've got. I've got for the, gone for the large one. So, and are they thermostatically adjusted or are they just a set heat? They're a set heat, but you can, uh, you can buy a thermostat to add yeah. on to it so if you want yeah. to do that you can do i think that might okay. be a purchase for me next spring a couple of thermostats because i've not gone into that yet everything is quite there's quite a price associated with these things so but the great thing about heat mats i find is that if your seed trays don't quite fit in properly you can overlap them ever so slightly around the edge they're, they're more forgiving than a propagator and then you can just buy some clear plastic lids and put those over the top and you can if you want to i adjust the temperature of them by putting polystyrene sheets beneath the um, seed trays on top of the mat just to elevate the, the trays off and i just think because they roll up and you can not quite flat pack them but they're much more easy to store in a small garden than a big bulky propagator I, I, that's why i like them for home at the, at the hall we've got a massive big propagator which is absolutely fine with it with heating cables but this for me for the amateur gardener heat mats are, are really useful no I, i'm going to go and get a few mostly to increase 
the amount of propagation I can do because I think I said in a podcast our New Year's resolutions one of the things I am determined to do is to get more propagation beyond the vegetables and the flowers try and do some more of the perennial and the woody yeah. stuff yeah and a heat mat's really useful for that anyway we've we've scratched the surface we're, we're almost out of time and i've realized we've scratched the surface so i know i think i have a feeling we'll be coming back again to the jobs that we're up to in a in a couple of weeks time and just see a how we're getting on and b how much our lists have uh, increased <laughs> That concludes today's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to you joining us again for the next instalment. Any review you'd like to leave via your podcast provider would be gratefully received. Winter is a natural time in the gardening calendar for reflection, adjustment and musing over new plans for warmer seasons ahead. So Lucy and I hope to inspire and educate with our thoughts. We'll also bring you interviews with some of the very best personalities our industry has to offer. We aim to dispel the myth that gardens, and therefore gardeners, slumber in winter. We promise that in this profession nothing could be further from the truth. As two enthusiastic and passionate head gardeners, winter is a busy season in our calendar. So let us help you keep one step ahead in this most marvellous and rewarding of careers. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! Goodbye!